0: Just a few moments ago, I don't know about you, but I heard a new song, a song I hadn't heard before. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention, but for many of us, we just declared that there is a new horizon and I am set on you and the you being Jesus. That's my prayer for the next few moments that we'll share together that what we have just declared to God would become true. We also just sang a song uh, around the ancient words, the beauty of scripture and the ability of these words to bring that change, that new horizon, that when we set our eyes on God through his word, that the transformation can come. See, we need a new horizon. And I believe many of us need to, readjust our eyes on to Jesus, because the reality is you and I live at a time and in a culture that is so busy, so busy talking, so busy talking over one another that we've forgotten how to just fix our eyes and to listen. In any good relationship, there's probably a little bit of conflict So kids, with your parents, know that conflict is just kind of part of being human. Now, hopefully we can do conflict well. In marriage, conflict is normal. And even in friendship, and even in relationship within a church, conflict can be very common. Now, how do we know when conflict is good and healthy versus when conflict is not healthy? I think it comes down to how much talking is going on. See, I, when I get in a discussion with someone I love very much and we're experiencing some conflict, oftentimes what I find is one person talking while the other person is talking, never pausing to stop and to truly listen and to reflect on what the other is saying, especially if we hold power in the relationship. So me as a father with my children, it's not natural for me to pause and to reflect and to listen to the arguments of my boys, sorry. Sorry. But I can just keep talking and talking and talking. And the reality is when we are too busy talking, we can't be listening. And that's what James is going to be teaching us today, that there's a reality to human relationships with this. So the value of listening, but more so. Because the more we talk, the more we live in our own head, When the more we allow what we believe, what we think, what we want to dominate everything about us, we can never hear what God wants. We will struggle to come to the word of God with humility and to listen. And so it's so interesting to me that these words that were penned so many years ago are just so deeply relevant to the world that you and I live in. So what we're going to prayerfully learn to do today is how we might understand how to slow down, to pause, to listen, so that we can have intimacy and relationship in this earth with one another so that we can have it ultimately with God. Today we'll be in James chapter 1, 19 through 25. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom... And continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Four people who stood up in this room, thank you for seating. Hey, before we jump in, I've got to tell you, uh, this is one of those weeks and this is one of these topics when we're talking about anger and listening, where I am a flawed uh, messenger. This is part of my sanctification. Now I can, with all integrity, I was talking uh, with a friend of mine, Bill Fairbanks, this week, and I said, can you imagine if I had to preach this five, ten years ago, I would just be a total fraud, but through the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can at least come to this text saying I am experiencing the change that God's word and God can bring. But I needed help this week, and so I am grateful for the many commentaries that were so helpful to me. I'm so grateful to Pastor Tim Keller, who preached an amazing sermon on this. I'm so grateful to the other pastors that I learned from. And uh, this is a, a public domain kind of message. So you just need to know that that who is speaking to you about anger and tuning it turning it down and, and tuning into God's word and not just listening but doing this is a journey that I am on and I pray it's a journey that you are on and there are many of you in this church who probably should take the pulpit and preach this this morning, but uh, sorry, you're stuck with me. So I want us to recognize The title of this sermon is Turn Down and Tune In. And you're fairly intelligent and intuitive people. What I believe James is calling us to do is turn down human anger and tune into God's word. So we're going to treat the sermon in those two sections. And the first thing I want you to see is turning down human anger. Verses 19 to 21, very familiar verses to many of us who've been following Jesus or who have ever gotten in an argument with someone and they've thrown these verses at us. Even your pastor has done that to you. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Tim Keller, in that great sermon I heard, has a quote about anger. Anger is energy released to defend or preserve something or somebody. Anger, a burst of energy within us, being released most of the time to defend or to preserve something or somebody. Now, I think it's really important to note that James doesn't say Uh, Anger is bad and you should never be angry. He's speaking about being slow to anger. See, when we read the scriptures, we see that God and Jesus experience anger. The Bible and James is not teaching not to ever get angry. But what they do teach is that there's a proper and right way that anger is to be released, there's a proper and right way in which anger can be used. Where does this come from? Very early in the beginning of the story of God, Exodus 34, uh, Moses is on Sinai and, and remember how God describes himself as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I mean, this is, this is the living God, a God who is both compassionate and loving, and a God who is just, a God who is slow to anger, doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for sin. Many of us are familiar with Jesus. Again, very early on, I find it so interesting that very early as God is letting us know what kind of God he is, who he is as the true and living God in Exodus, we get this description about slow to anger. Jesus in the gospel of John, we're not even into chapter three and Jesus has a little bout of proper anger. You'll remember he's at the temple and he's flipping over tables in John chapter two. Jesus is defending, he's defending what worship looks like, what proper worship is to be. And he sees something just so egregious, so anti the way God has set up his people to worship him and to be in relationship with one another. He sees the fraud. He sees the injustice. And there's a burst of energy in even Jesus. So if we use this understanding that throughout the Bible, anger can be used, that anger can be righteous. Now, from what I can gather in Scripture, righteous anger oftentimes, and I haven't found any other instances, righteous anger points toward the other or toward God. What is right? Using Keller's definition, it is anger that is released to defend What scripture calls us to defend, it's it's energy that's released to preserve God's name, his ways, and his truths. In short, it defends both justice and righteousness. Proper anger, righteous anger is one that is energy released to defend justice relationship with one another, relationship on this earth, and righteousness, who God is in his ways of living. Uh, It was a few years ago, that was many years ago now, we only had one child, I was departing an airplane, I was by myself, I don't remember where I was going, I was in Denver, I know that, changing planes, and I was near the back of the plane, And I noticed, uh, everybody noticed, that once the seatbelt light went off, there was a woman, uh, a woman who was in traditional Muslim clothing, uh, who clearly did not speak English, who grabbed her purse, and the moment that the uh, seatbelt light went off, she jumped out of her seat back of the plane and got as far forward as possible, breaking all the norms of how we properly depart planes from an american perspective. Now there's a guy next to me and his wife, he was very angry. He kept talking about her in a loud way and how rude this was and how and it just kept going. He would not stop talking he was not he would not stop being louder and louder about how, how horrible this woman is. And how horrible this situation is. And there was something inside of me that had a burst of energy eventually. And I told him he needed to be quiet. I said, I think there might be something cultural here. This, there might be a difference here. And he went to tell me, well, where I'm from, there's manners. And I said, well, where I'm from, we don't talk about women the way you're talking about women. Now, I think there were two bursts of energy. And of course, I'm going to put myself on the right side of, of, ener- of the energy of the anger. There was one that was defending self. This was wrong. This is not fair to me. You should never do this. And there was another burst of energy saying, please just stop. This is, a, this, this is not worth it. This is, this is a human being. See, the problem is you and I live at a time where whenever we have our own personal bursts of anger, oftentimes we want to claim we were on the right side. See, James is speaking about a different kind of anger than the righteous anger that we can see in scripture that oftentimes is to defend another or to defend God in his ways. James is speaking about human anger. In fact, he goes to say that in verse 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because Human anger, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, human anger is released inward, toward ourselves. And in a word, human anger is selfish. We'll get to that in a moment. But before we get there, James is so practical. He gives us clarity on how we can actually know if we're on the right side of anger or not. And in a very basic, basic way, James lets us know that anger gone bad is fast. Anger gone bad is fast. There's a temper. There's a reaction. There's bursts of energy. This week, uh, we uh, got away for a day. There was no school for the three others in my family. My parents have an RV. They were doing their camping thing in Ventura. And on our way out, I went to pick up a beach chair, and I just clocked my head on the pop-out part, this big metal. And there was, it, was, it was gory. It was not pretty. And guess what? It was everybody else's fault that happened but mine. I mean if the if the chair wasn't where it was put, if somebody would have helped me participate more by loading the car, if if you guys weren't so busy talking to your grandparents and could help, it was a burst of energy. It was a temper, it was a reaction, it was fast, it was blaming. It was defending somehow that I could not have done something wrong here. It had to be somebody else's fault. See, this is what James is speaking about when he talks about anger going bad is often fast. And oftentimes, what my experience has been, not just with myself, but with you all and with anyone, is that human anger often is so fast it has no idea what it's defending and what it's preserving in the moment. It's just reacting. Human anger is so fast that oftentimes it has no idea in the moment what it is defending, who it is defending, what it is preserving, who it is preserving. If we just pause and ask, what am I defending? What am I preserving? Who, what is this about? In that moment, that fast anger, the wrong side of anger, it's hard to get those answers. I asked you on Friday, on my Friday update, to be aware of what triggers you. Uh, What are the things that can happen or be said or that you can read? That your anger is triggered. See, anger is the norm in our world and our culture. It's almost celebrated. And everyone claiming that the way they express anger is the thing that needs to be done for whatever reason is out there. So I need to express anger this way so that I can be heard. I need to express anger this way so that I can have leverage over someone else. Or I can expose how silly and dumb and stupid somebody else is by, by, by raging out a little bit or letting my burst of energy. If our anger is quick, if our anger is defensive of ourselves, what we believe, what we think, me, my, my, me, our anger is often inwardly focused I think it's harder to claim that we're on the right side of anger. It's harder to claim that we are following Jesus and what he did in the temple or that somehow we are like God in being slow to anger, harder to claim righteous anger. So what do we do? What do we do about our quick human anger? Now, according to James, and I find this so interesting. Now, there are other resources out there. But we are dealing with the text and we're going to allow the text to speak to us in this particular thing. Some of you need more help and practical tools on how to get control of your anger, that there's often issues behind that, concerns behind that. And we have amazing therapists and amazing people in this and and life coaches in this church that can help with these things practically. However, foundationally, we come to the word of God and James says that the antidote to human anger is not necessarily self-control, but it's listening and humility. Listening to other people and having the humility to come to God in his word to listen to God. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, verse 19. Verse 21, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, I want you to hear this because we are talking about human, we're talking about uh, turning down anger and tuning into God and how these things connect is found right here. Because if you cannot sit and listen and be humble in your human relationships, you will struggle to sit and listen and be humble with God and his word. They are connected. You you don't get to have one kind of reaction with God and a different reaction with God's people. James is almost saying, uh, I need you to learn how to listen and be in in true relationship and turn your anger down. Because if you can't do it with other people, if you can't do it in the world I have placed you, what makes you think you will come to me and my word and be able to listen? Because guess what? The word of God is going to call us to a lot more uncomfortable things than whatever the person sitting across the dinner table from you is talking about or whatever the preacher is saying to you. If we cannot listen and we cannot be humble in our human relationships, we will will fail to be able to be humble and to listen to God and his word. That is key to this whole, if you hear nothing else, I want you to hear that. Now, I pray you stay with us because I think there's an invitation in this text that God has on how we can get there. See, if humility is the opposite of anger in James, it would suggest that the root issue to human anger is pride. That makes sense, doesn't it? If fast anger and human anger turns inward towards ourself, it's trying to defend ourself or our beliefs or what we want or what we think is right, it's a me-focused kind of anger, which is, by definition, pride. Human anger turns inward to defend self, to preserve self, or things like myself, or people like myself. The root issue is pride. Now, how how do we know if we struggle with pride? Here's, Here's super key. Look here. Here's how you know if you struggle with pride. Are you breathing? You struggle with pride. Welcome to the club. Welcome. There really ought not be a question if you struggle with pride. Now, I will say this. There are men and women who are part of this church family that I dream about aspiring to the way They view themselves and communicate. And I think progress, again, testimony to progress. I think in this lifetime, we can become less prideful. And I've seen the hand of God do that in my own life and in the life of so many of you. So praise God for that. But the reality is how we started that this oftentimes there's just too much going on in our head, too much going on inward for us to hear God. And when there's too much internal dialogue or there's too much watching the news or there's too much listening to what's going on all the time, out, 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 and we're not spending time coming to God and his word, we are less likely to know the proper way to release the energy that God has given us to defend and to preserve his way of living and his people. When there's too much going on inward and it's all about me and all about my time, And I'm in control of my life. That is bad listening and lacks humility. And it says, listen to me. I've got it figured out. You don't. I don't really need to listen to you nor to anyone else. And oftentimes we co-opt God in his word, believing we know just enough of the Bible that it holds true to whatever our existing belief system is. And we do that with other people all the time. We do that with God's word all the time. It is common in human relationship. And it ends up making its way into our spiritual life. Quick, I mean, you've been at church, some of you, a long time. Some of you are coming back to church and you left church because of these things. You ever met any church people who have a quick burst of anger? Ever met a pastor has? Have you ever been in church and experienced the energy released within the church? I didn't like that. I disagree with that. And it's not just an intellectual comment. It's that burst of anger. And I want to address that for a minute because spiritual pride is just so dangerous. Spiritual pride specifically is dangerous to the people of God experiencing revival. Jonathan Edwards, now we're going back, 1700s here. Born in 1703, died in 1758. He was a revivalist pastor. This is someone who who rode around the country and preached Jesus and saw revivals happening. And he has some reflections as he watched the revivals of God happen about how dangerous it was when he came into a place where there were proud church folk, where there were proud spiritual people. I just want to read a couple of his reflections. Eventually we'll put one up. This is what Jonathan Edwards says about being a spiritually proud person. See, the spiritually proud person is full of light already and feels that he does not need instruction. So he's ready to despise the offer of it. On the other hand, the humble person is like a little child who easily receives instruction. You want to know if you're dealing with spiritual pride? How do you come to your time of teaching in, in this space or in your Sunday school class or in your small group or to your devotional time? Do you need it or have you figured it out? Or Are you waiting to react? Jonathan Edwards, proud people tend to speak of others' sins. The miserable delusion of hypocrites... The deadness of some saints with bitterness or the opposition to holiness of many believers. Pure Christian humility, however, is silent about the sins of others or speaks of them with grief and pity. Spiritually proud person, do you enjoy talking about others in the faith, others in your small group, in your Sunday school class, others in the church, talking about how they just don't get it? Spiritual pride. The spiritually proud person finds fault with other saints, other brothers and sisters. The spiritually proud person finds fault with other saints for their lack of progress in grace, while the humble Christian sees so much evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he's not apt to be very busy with other hearts. And this is the one I want you to read. Spiritually proud people often speak of almost everything they see in others in the harshest, most severe language. Commonly, their criticism is directed against not only wicked men, but also toward the true children of God and those who are their superiors. The humble, however, even when they have extraordinary discoveries of God's glory, are overwhelmed with their own vileness and sinfulness. You know, James speaks of this when he says... Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. See, for us to humbly come to the Word of God, we have to recognize who we really are. And the spiritual proud person has ended processing who they really are and is now in the business of figuring out who everybody else isn't or how who they are is superior. See, this is dangerous stuff, pride. The spiritually proud person has been deceived by themselves. I mean, that's what the scripture says. So don't deceive yourselves. They do not come humbly in relationship with others. And if you cannot come humbly in relationship with others, you will have a difficult time coming humbly to God and to God's word. James teaches that if we're unable to listen to others, if we're unable to come to other people in humility, we will struggle to come to God's word with the posture needed. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Which means what? It means that you and I can be so close and yet so far away. I live on a street. Uh, the name, my street is here. It dead ends. And then there's two parks and the Eaton Canyon Wash. And then the street picks up on the other side. This week we had friends over. Don't worry. Social distanced in the backyard. We had masks on until we measured. And we were having a nice time of catching up, and they were a little bit late because it had been a while since they'd been to our home. They were on our street on the other side, lost, probably for five, 10 minutes. See, they were on my street, but super far away from where we lived. And that is the truth about being a follower of Jesus is that you can be so close and yet so far away. You can know the words, you can know the language, you can know the creeds, you can know the songs, you can know some verses, you can know, and yet you can be so far away. That's what James is teaching. You can listen to the word and deceive yourselves, or what he'll get us to, we can receive the word and respond to the word. We can be all in with the word. So it is with God's word. We can read, we can listen, we can be super far away. James, James is instructing us to be aware of that reality and to invite us into something bigger. It's the difference. I talk about this a lot. It's the difference between vicinity and intimacy. Some of you don't know the difference because you have never truly experienced Intimacy. And vicinity doesn't always equal intimacy. Now, in a pandemic world that you and I live in, we need a little bit more vicinity. And probably there's some vicinity that will feel like intimacy because we are built for connection and relationship. And praise God that we're starting to taste that more and more. But there is a dramatic difference between in vicinity to God's word and being intimate with God's word. And that's what James is speaking about. And how do we move from vicinity, someone who just listens, to somebody who listens and does? That's where this next section is. This tuning in. This fully tuning in to the Lord through his word. Verses 22 to 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's intimacy anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus I hope you're catching how familiar this is. Jesus says something exactly the same at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, when he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and that house fell with a great crash. See, there is a call on the follower of Jesus's life, not just to know truth, but to live truth. James and Jesus teach us that listening is not enough. It's important, but listening in and of itself is not obedience. Obedience is not found in simply hearing, which means what? If your entire relationship with Jesus is the hour or so we spend together a week, you're missing out on intimacy. You're living in vicinity. There's more. There's more than just hearing. There's a way of living that is the evidence of how well we are listening and how much we are trusting. And and there's this great promise there's this great promise at the end of this text that, that Chuck has already spoken about, and we'll get there in a moment. But for a moment, we need to understand how different the context is about mirrors. So this image, right, the, the person who just comes to God's word um, re- and doesn't actually live what it says, he tells this story. It's like someone who looks at a mirror, takes a glance, walks away, has no idea what they look like. Now, you and I live at a time where mirrors are everywhere. They're unfortunately everywhere. And when the scriptures were written, there was no mirror like the mirrors we have. There was no public restrooms with mirrors and sinks. Mirrors were hard to find. And oftentimes they were pieces of metal where you could just get kind of a glimpse every now and then. If you've ever traveled uh, internationally uh, as a a Westerner and you have a, a phone or a camera, you'll remember how fascinated children are in different parts of the world to actually see a picture of themselves. So while this is an image that connotates a common experience for us, like how could you not know what you look like? Because we know what we look like. But in this context, the need to often come to a mirror to study what you look like, to remember what you look like, quick glances weren't going to do it. You needed to be diligent. You needed to spend some time looking and remembering. And that's the invitation, That's the invitation that we might not just come to God's word, do a quick glance, and move on with our day. Forgetting what we read by noon or 10 a.m. No, it's the call to really be in. And even in the context here, James talking about the word of God, you and I live at a time where I've got three Bibles on me right now right? I've got this one. I have copies of it in the manuscript of my sermon. I have my phone that's got three different versions of the Bible. We are so Bible accessible. And when this was written, there maybe prayerfully was a copy of some of the scriptures that you would have to travel to the temple or you'd have to travel to the religious gathering of the church to hear it recited. You you might not even been literate. But what I find so interesting is as common as mirrors are for us and as common as the scriptures can be to us, the struggle for obedience is exactly the same. It's not like having more mirrors and Bibles at our disposal has netted more faithfulness in and of itself. Because it's not just about reading and looking. It's about reading and looking in a way that changes us. In short, James is calling us to receive God's word. And then to respond to God's word. It's one combined movement. Receiving the word means looking long enough at it. Carrying it with you. Studying it. Meditating. More than a quick glance or a weekly sermon. Or somebody else's sermon. The Bible. And when we read the Bible James is so quick to tell us the key is that we have to come to this word humbly. We have to come to this word of God humbly because guess what you will see? If you look long enough, you're going to see t- you're going to see how hard this call to be faithful is on our lives. Hebrews 4:12 says this about the word. For the word of God is alive and active it's sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart see we're not just coming to a book for for reading time we're coming to the very word of God that is active that as many of you know where we can come to the same verse dozens of times and because it's a living word it speaks to us in the moment we are in even in a way it never had before something we've read a million times. Receiving the word takes incredible humility because when we come to God's word it's not just extracurricular reading. We come to it with the, with the intention to, to learn it, to receive it. And when we do that, you cannot do that without recognizing how much this Bible is going to mess with us. God's word is attempting to reorient us. To challenge us. But so often we're so sophisticated that we come to God's word to try to find if it says what we already believe. Or to reinforce what we we think it says. James is saying, no, you've got to come to this word with humility. And if you don't come to this word with humility, you will never actually receive the way of living and the truths that are within it. Because guess what? At times, these truths are so dramatically different than the world we live in. The Bible wants to speak to everything and does speak to everything about your life. About the way you view money, about the way you treat one another, about the way you view uh, yourself and your body and human sexuality, this Bible speaks to everything. And when we can humbly come to God's word and receive it, we might actually be able to do the next point, which is to respond to it, to actually trust that what God says in his word is true and to take steps of faith. Not just to be hearers of the Bible, to know what it says, but to actually live this way. And for me, this is where relationship lives. This is why it's active and living. The more I think about this responding to God's word and God in his word, it's responding. And it's the kind of response that's needed in any good relationship. Because responding in any relationship is where trust is formed, where intimacy is formed. I could go home today and spend an hour and a half listening to my wife Share with me whatever is on her heart or what her dreams are for our family or what I need to know to be a great husband this week. And I can just listen and walk away and say, thank you for saying all of that and get on with my week. If I do not respond to what I have heard, I don't forge trust with her. And we have very compromised intimacy. So it is with the word of God. If you are coming to God's word, just to briefly look at it and never trust to actually actually respond to the way of living it is calling us to live then you will have no you have very little trust in God very little trust in his word and you will struggle with intimacy with God the Bible was not written so that we might know more facts the Bible is written so that we might enter relationship and the promise in this text is so beautiful is that if we actually respond if we move from being hearers of the word to doers of the word word freedom the word freedom is used whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard but doing it they'll be blessed freedom from anger freedom from fear freedom from control from pride Freedom from the me-centered way of living that whether you recognize it or not is exhausting and will never give you freedom and hope. I, I get in these weird zones where there's a worship music song that just resonates and I listen to it probably 50 times and between Friday and this morning, this song, None But Jesus, I just can't stop listening to it. There is no one else for me, none but Jesus, crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him praise. I love this chorus because it summarizes the freedom that is offered in Jesus. Where this human way of living where we react and defend ourselves. If we, can, if we can slow down and listen and have humility with one another, we can come to God's word and be ready to listen and have humility. And there is a different way of living so that we might say, there is no one else for me, not even myself. None but Jesus who was crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him praise doesn't say, now I read to learn about praise. I live to bring him praise. Lake Avenue Church, those who are listening with us right now, my question is, does the word freedom define anything about you in your life? If you're not, if you don't know freedom... The freedom that comes because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, this new way of living that can take selfish people who only react and respond when we're being defended and can somehow change, and become the kind of people who are beautiful to be around, who care about others more than ourselves. who who find delight and joy coming to the word of God and allowing it to have authority in our life, letting it tell us what is true versus everything else, takes us out of this rat race that is exhausting. And my question for you this morning is, if you do not know freedom, you probably don't know Jesus. And I'm asking you this morning, to invite Jesus into your life, to, to come intently to his word, allow him through his word to tell you what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, and watch your life be marked with freedom and blessing. Doesn't mean it becomes easy. I told you I got angry this week. That's where we come to the word and understand forgiveness and grace And that in our weakness, He is made strong. I mean, so many scriptures will run to our mind, but this morning, today, whenever you are watching this, if you can say with all intent, I do not know freedom, I invite you to begin to know Jesus. And it's very simple to do Jesus, I want to experience this freedom you promise. So I recognize that through your death and resurrection, I have this opportunity to be forgiven and that I can experience freedom in this life. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus. And I believe this. I think there are plenty of us who call ourselves follower of Jesus and freedom is nowhere near how you describe your life. See, you need Jesus too. I need Jesus too. If your relationship with Jesus is not bringing you freedom, you've got to question what kind of relationship it is. And here's my observation, Lake. There are many Christians right now, all over, not just picking on us, who are so busy reacting inwardly that human anger is taking all over their life. All day long, reacting, quick to anger. And you can't experience freedom with Jesus if you're too busy reacting and human anger all the time, and I think Jesus is saying to some of you right now, "Come to me. Let me take all those things that rile you up. Let me take all these concerns you have and, and the way that, that that pride is showing up in your life and the fear. come to me, come to my word humbly, and watch me speak to you. I will give you hope. I will give you perspective. There is a great freedom for those of us who follow Jesus. And Lake, I said this last week. It's time for the people of Jesus to start acting free. If we can act free, we can be who God says we are. We can come under his authority, come to his word, be transformed, not just be listeners. Lake, that's where the witness is. That's where more people come to faith. I know, I know for some of you, the way you think this works is, Jeff, no, that's your job. You just preach it. I'll get them online. You take it from there. No, no, no. You need to live free. I need to live free. Jesus, help us. Because we are way too human. We react way too often to be who you say you are. Father, we need your help. We recognize that the human reaction, that burst of energy comes for so many of us so often, and it comes so fast, we don't even know really what it is about. So we lash out and we blame and we do all the things that I unfortunately did for a few moments with my family this week. God, would you help us to come into relationships with one another and be good listeners That we could come into human relationships with humility. What a great training ground you've given us. So ultimately, God, we can come to our relationship with you and listen. And humbly receive what you're saying. So that we won't just be in the neighborhood of faithfulness and be far away. But that we would live in relationship with you in a way that is explained by freedom. And that others might see the freedom in us and find their own way to freedom in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.